Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. I'm Jay. Today's topic, Ghostbusters 2, the 1989 sequel to Ghostbusters from 1984. It stars Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis, Ernie Hudson and Annie Potts. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. I know you're a, a big Ghostbusters fan, so I'll let you take this one. Oh, I am a massive Ghostbusters fan, and I am shocked that it's taken this long for us to talk about Ghostbusters 2 on the podcast. There's a reason we're not talking about Ghostbusters, the original, is because I was a guest on Rewind and Review, and we did a full episode there. Previously, on Sounds Like Comics, we've done the real Ghostbusters, and that film stew i did ghostbusters from 2016 so this is the one that has been missing so i'm very glad that we're we're doing this movie because it's one of those things you know whether it's ghostbusters one or two that for as long as i can remember they've always existed i've always watched and enjoyed this movie or these movies so you know my relationship with ghostbusters joe I love it. Yep. What's your take on Ghostbusters in general? Um, I uh, I grew up with Ghostbusters. I I love the original. I love Ghostbusters too. And like yourself, I grew up with the cartoon. In fact, I remember. I can't remember how old I was. Probably about. I'd say. Seven or eight, somewhere around there. And me and my brother were supposed to be getting the real Ghostbusters uh, Proton Energy Packs toys for Christmas presents. We'd gone to the toy store. We'd picked them out. My mum had laid-by them. And we were super excited. And I was thinking about it for months and months and months. And then come Christmas, we'd pointed out something else that looked interesting to us. And she switched out our Christmas presents. She had taken them off lay-by and they'd been returned to stock without us knowing. And we ended up picking out. Uh, the Brave Star Gale <laughs> boy set, play set. Oh, no. Uh, and so I come Christmas, we open that. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool, awesome. And I'm looking around, I'm like, where's our Proton Energy Packs? Oh. And that uh, to this day, that's my memory because I'd picked out a green one for me and my brother picked out the red one. Uh, and, yeah, we never got them. We never got them. <laughs> hey, I used to watch Brave Star, but it's no Ghostbusters. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Oh. Okay. So it had been five years between the first movie and the second movie. I forgot until this rewatch that it literally opens five years later. So this movie is happening in real time after that first movie, which is a nice touch. After the success of Ghostbusters, Columbia Pictures wanted a sequel, but struggled to overcome objections from the cast and crew. As with the first film, Aykroyd and Ramis collaborated on the script, which went through many variations. The pair wanted to convey a message about the consequences of negative human emotions in large cities. They settled on the idea of negative feelings, creating a mass of supernatural slime beneath New York City that empowers malevolent spirits. Yep. Uh, and which... You know, I haven't watched this for a while before I did the watch for the podcast. Um, 
but I still remembered very clearly what the the premise of the film was. So as I hit play and started watching it, you know, after the five years later, I'm like, oh wow, that's the, they've actually bothered to put that in. I started to notice from the opening sequence of Sigourney Weaver, Dana Barrett pushing young Oscar down the the sidewalk. All of the New Yorkers, like literally every single person she walks by, it's an argument and hostility between yes. each of them. And yeah. the opening scene, I'm like, oh, wow, they laid that in, in the background from the first shot. It's yeah, really he's, clever. He's there, he's there from the beginning. And there's that comment, isn't it, where she asks somebody, you know, that works on her building or at her building, can you just help me? And he's like, that's not my job. Which is softened to him. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I'll do you that favor. But you're right, that hostility or the the arguments, it's it's there already. Yeah, and it's that classic New Yorker um, stereotype that permeated from the '70s all the way through to kind of the 2000s, um, where it started to, to ebb away. But you know, the you know classic Dustin Hoffman, I'm walking here, I'm walking here, <laughs> which yes. that itself. That was because they were filming without a permit, uh, permit in New York and Dustin Hoffman being a native New Yorker. He even drops the, his character's voice in Midnight Cowboy for that because that was a pure reaction from Hoffman ah, that they left cool. in the movie. Right. Um, but that is New York. You know, that is or the old school idea of what a New Yorker was. Uh, and they made it a part of the premise of the film. This and, yeah, this movie feels very New York. I mean, come on, it ends with the Statue of Liberty. This movie feels yeah. very New York. With a budget of between 30 and 40 million, filming took place between November 1988 and March 1989 in New York City, also Los Angeles. Not all New York, for the most part, but they did some scenes in LA. Production was rushed compared to the original film's 13-month cycle. Large sections of the film were scrapped after poorly received test screenings. New scenes were written and filmed during reshoots between March and April 1989, only two months before its release. So there's a big difference, isn't there, between the first movie and this movie, because when they were making Ghostbusters... Nobody knew what it was. I mean, it was essentially like it was based on those Abbott and Costello movies where they meet Frankenstein or, you know, the the supernatural twist to comedy. And that's what they were looking at doing with Ghostbusters. Not movie stars, guys on TV, Saturday Night Live, but five years later. And in between the first movie and this movie, you had the real Ghostbusters and the toys you were talking about. So this became like a worldwide phenomenon. So you can see why the pressure was on with, with this sequel. Yeah, and, um, and also those actors, as you said, from the original, they were like, oh, SNL guys. But by this one, they were all well-established like superstars, especially Bill Murray. Bill Murray was like a massive star. Sigourney Weaver had done Alien and Aliens by this point. Um, you've got uh, Harold Ramis, who had definitely solidified himself as one of the directors for the era, um, having done this and a lot of stuff with Bill Murray, including Stripes, Dan Aykroyd as well, like, you know, uh, Spies Among Us, uh, or Spies Like Us, I think is the name of the film, with um, Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase, like, yeah. They've, so, yeah, and Rick Moranis as well was 
huge in this era. Like I'm, I think this is probably around the era he'd done the first, like the Honey I Shrunk the Kids, as well. So I mean, they're all like quite established names by this point. Um, so I imagine that was another reason why it took him so long to get around to this because you got to get the schedules lined up together as well. Um, and one thing I did notice is during the watch, now you said that it was shot partly in LA. I'm like, that explains why there was no snow on the ground for ah. like, December, New York. Oh, I'm like, that is a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, you know, the, the things they had to reshoot and they couldn't, they, the season had passed. It was gone. But I did think about that the whole time. I'm like, this is supposed to be like, you know, December, New York, it's supposed to be like bitterly cold already. I've got to be honest though, Jay, I, I've seen these movies probably, no, I will say I've seen these movies more than most. I even thought to myself, do I even need to do a rewatch before yeah. doing the pod? But I did, I, I did a rewatch and no point across my many viewings did I think about the weather. But now you mentioned it, Yes. <laughs> it should look colder. There should be, yeah. Especially um, in the movie, yeah, yeah. Around that time, and that's only because you know, over my lifetime, I've watched so many films set in New York at Christmas, and or set you know, TV shows set in New York where they, you know, where they, especially comedies where they get to the Christmas period and how cold it looks, and always commenting on that kind of stuff. So it's just so, but with so normal with, uh, to me. With that, though, it's like whenever you see like a Christmas special, whether it's film or TV in the UK, it's always snowing. Yeah. I'm from the UK. I grew up in the UK. I didn't it's have many really white Christmases. Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have many white Christmases, but it's, it's what you see, TV and film. But for the sake of this movie, they probably should have made it look a little bit colder. But the fact that there was in LA potentially for those scenes would would make up for that. So the film was released on June 16th in 1989 to generally negative reviews. Nobody wants that. This film wasn't received the best. Critics responded unfavorably to what they perceived as largely a copy of the original and a softening of its cynical dark humor to be more family friendly although the performances of Peter McNichol and Rick Moranis were repeatedly singled out for praise. I mentioned before, in between Ghostbusters 1 and 2, the real Ghostbusters happens. And there's new fans, younger fans, because that first Ghostbusters movie wasn't made for kids, not really, but no. kids really latched onto it. You know, the two of us included. And with that animated series and how popular it was. I mean, because of the animated series, that's why we get Slimer back in Ghostbusters 2. And he's in it a little bit more because that's what kids knew from, from the animated show. In that yeah, first he was their sidekick. Yeah, well, that's right. But in that first Ghostbusters movie, they're all smoking. Yeah. It's a thing. In this movie, not so much. I noticed towards the end of the movie... There's right. a scene where Ray has a cigar. I don't think yep. it's lit, but he has a cigar in his mouth. There's in the in the hospital where the Ghostbusters have been detained. There's a th- is it a therapist or there's yep. or somebody that works like, there? Yeah, 
he has a cigarette. Yeah. And he is actually the real-life brother of Bill Murray. I found out that whilst doing prep for this. So he has a cigarette, but other than that, not really. But go back to that first movie, The All Smoking. So the chain smoking as well. Yes. So there is definitely a tonal shift with this. You know, we're going to get into this fully, but just while we're on it, the the biggest difference between Ghostbusters one and two is that that first movie is about the guys. It's about the Ghostbusters, and then the ghosts came second. With this. The guys kind of get pushed off screen a little bit and they make it more like, oh, wow, look at these effects. Look at the ghosts that we can do. And visually, this movie is very impressive, but I do think it was at the detriment of having more of the Ghostbusters being on screen. Yeah, and, um, you know, I've, I've grown up with people always talking down the second film, um, to which I'm... To the point of, yeah, I hadn't watched it in so long. I'm like, is it worse than I remember? Because I remember loving it when I was young. Uh, so when I was doing the rewatch, I was paying a lot of a real close attention, more closer to attention than I've ever paid to it before. Um, not just like the things I, my entire life, like in the sequel, why is she working in a museum around paintings? Wasn't she an orchestral like cellist? What's going on? And then, but the, every single question I had, they were, it was already answered. They guys, you know, Harold Ramis and Rick Moranis had, uh, sorry, Dan Aykroyd had thought this stuff through and the, there's pieces of information in the movie that explains all of it. The reason she's working in a museum, like doing painting restoration because it's not what she's trained for. It's just kind of something she can do is because she's still got a young baby and she can't be going on tour with the orchestra. So she needs something she can have at stay at home while her baby gets old enough where she can leave her with a, a maid or daycare or he can travel with her, it's answered. Why are the guys in such a shitty state? Like, why has Peter got a TV show? And why is the Ecto-1 dilapidated? Well, because they're under a judicial uh, restraining order from practicing paranormal in- dis- investigations. They're not allowed to be Ghostbusters. The thing that made the money. So they're doing kids' appearances at shitty parties. Like, they also, all- yeah, and, and it's in here that the job they did for this city for the mayor five years ago, so that first move when they saved the day, they didn't get paid. Yeah, and then they got dragged through the tabloids talking, like calling, being called frauds and like liars and charlatans for something that they, and they, and they never got paid for. This is a massive thing. And this is like, and it's, and they've had multiple lawsuits and stuff uh, after it, which say it's all in the style of the movie when they're, when Winston and Ray are complaining about, man, I can't believe we've got to be stooped down to doing these crappy kids' parties. And, and another kids, the kids' party. Jason Reitman, the son of Ivan Reitman, is there. He's the kid that said, that's giving them sticks, saying that, you know, my parents or my dad, along the lines of said, you guys are a joke or has-beens. And he's directing the new Ghostbusters movie that we get next year. Yeah, that's awesome. It's so good. And what what were they calling for at the time? He-Man, which was the cartoon. (laughs) (laughs) Which I also watched. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, me too. Oh, I thought it was going to be He-Man. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, man, these, these movies, it's, it's an interesting one because, you know, Ghostbusters too. like I grew up watching this 
And it's not like now where you'll watch something and enjoy it. Like when you're a kid, you watch the hell out of whatever you're into. So I have yeah. seen Ghostbusters 2 so many times, and I have always thought that it is just a repeat of that first movie. And it really is. That first movie, you get to this similar point in the, mo- in the film, they become Ghostbusters. Second one, they become Ghostbusters again. It just, and then you've got the montage, which is fun. And then, you know, instead of a giant staple of Marshmallow Man, you've got the giant Statue of Liberty. There's so many parallels between these two movies, but there's still so much to enjoy. And where is that first movie? We've got Gozer and the Terror Dogs. This movie, we've got Vigo, the painting. Ah, it's, yeah. it's so the cool. Scourge of Carpathia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we'll, we'll get to all that. As the sequel to the then highest grossing comedy film of all time, Ghostbusters 2 was expected to dominate the box office. Instead, the film earned $215.4 million during its theatrical run, compared with the original's $282.2 million, making it the eighth highest grossing film of the year. Columbia Pictures deemed it a financial and critical failure. And then we had to wait until 2016 for Paul Feig to come along and give us another Ghostbusters film. I mean, in that meantime, you know, we've got more real Ghostbusters. We've got extreme Ghostbusters. But when this film came out, it failed to replicate the cultural impact and following of Ghostbusters. Although some retrospective audiences praised it ghostbusters 2 is generally seen as a poor follow-up to ghostbusters and responsible for stalling the franchise for decades the film spawned a series of merchandise including video games board games comic books music toys and haunted houses i'm assuming that's like a theme park or i don't know yeah Despite the relative failure of Ghostbusters 2, a second sequel was pursued through to early 2010, thereabouts, a financially unsuccessful and controversial 2016 movie, as mentioned, led to renewed efforts in a direct sequel. So we're eventually going to be getting that. But I remember for years, Dan Aykroyd talking about a third movie, and it was supposed to be Ghostbusters in hell. And then the the twist would be is that they're actually still in New York. And that's I think these guys have really got an opinion on New York. <laughs> you know, now yeah. they feel about I'm sure they're gonna love for it. But yes, it was gonna be, oh my god, we're in hell. Oh no, it's New York. That was yeah. gonna be Ghostbusters 3. And I'd heard about that movie for the longest time, but now we're going to get a true sequel to this film next year, and that will be Ghostbusters Afterlife. And all the original living actors are coming back. And the the family, the kids in the movie, are said to be the grandkids of Egon Spengler. And that's how it's going to fit together. Yeah, with Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things being one of the kids. Yes. And you've got a... Like high school teacher played by Paul Rudd. Luke. So it looks like it's it's going to be fun. I'm just hoping that they go back to what made that first movie special and make it about the characters. 
and not go to effects heavy like they did with this movie to an extent. Yeah, which is tough because you know it's it's it was the problem with sequels right up until probably really um, recently where you know the old adage was always if you had a really really huge film you spent even more money on the sequel and if you were lucky you'd make about even of the first one maybe a little bit more um and then or that's how if you just had a really a a good film that made a a surprising amount of money and you did a sequel you'd like take you'd drop a quarter of the budget and then try squeeze something out of it because you'd expect the same sort of reduce in returns like about a 25 percent drop off on a sequel's um budget from uh gross from the original um and this kind of falls into that that hollywood model that they had for decades and decades you know you can count like there's so few right up until the marvel movies really are sequels that did equal or better than originals and that was like star wars and aliens over alien and then they failed to really capture the same kind of budgets on the sequels. A Terminator 2 over Terminator. You know, there's so few movies that actually capture that. And it's always weird that, like, a franchise stalls because it underperformed in such a way. I'm like, oh, that's because you had the wrong expectation. Like, the reasons why those other films succeeded as sequels um, where you're, all of the other ones you do fail is because they take they build on the story that had already been that had come before it and move it in a newer direction. And, and like you said, like in terms of story beats, this does hit a lot of those same, if you look at them on a flow chart and like a, a point by point basis, it is like the same film, but it does hit very different. And fortunately it's not different enough and it doesn't build enough of what came in the first one to really make a, a cultural impact the way I think they would have wanted. But that's that's it's what sequels were, and like you played you played the sequel game, you made it in the way that's like the lesser successful sequels are, and this is the product. And it wasn't I don't think that was an audience problem because I'm with you. I still think they did a really good job. I think the movie's great. They did. I think it's it is that thing that like who who are they aiming this movie at? Like, who's the audience? Because again, that first movie, it wasn't kids. Although it was a PG, they weren't aiming it at kids. But you've got the real Ghostbusters, all the toys, and then this movie happened. And kids like repetition. Like We talked about this on a recent episode where we reviewed Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, where for the most part, every episode was the same. But it was just hitting those same, those familiar beats, you know, that kids enjoyed the music. It was just, it's essentially the same thing happening over and over. Yeah. If I, you know, Power Rangers, you've got the fight, the bad guy, the bad guy goes big, they defeat him big, the end. Rinse and repeat. That's each episode. Yeah. So I guess if this movie, with that in mind, that, okay, so let's, you know, what they liked in that first movie, let's hit those same beats again, and kids will like it. Parents will buy toys for the kids. And they did, even real Ghostbusters had tie-in to Ghostbusters 2. Like, you could get a real Ghostbusters Ecto-1, but 
but it was modified to look like the X01A from this film. Yeah. So I just think that, uh, I, I don't know, for me, I think it worked because I was a kid at the time when it came out. But I think if I'd been an adult watching the original in 84 and then waiting five years for a sequel, I don't think Ghostbusters 2 would have been the movie I would have wanted. Yeah, and that's a long time between uh, for a sequel as well. Um, generally speaking, if you're going to like catch lightning in a bottle a second time on a sequel, you need to get it out within three years. Um, and ideally, it uh, if you're going to do a if you it's a surprise that it was such a big thing, and you're going to follow up with a sequel, you want to get it in two. Like you only go three years if it's. Uh, it's really heavy and it's really hard and it was there's a lot of work to arrange to get it to where you need to go like um schedulings and that kind of thing star wars the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy are a great example of that because the movies that was are so big and the to evolve the story in the way that you needed to to keep people invested um and all of the post-production stuff is and the sets are large and elaborate. So the pre-production and the post-production of those movies are like a year either way. Um, you, 18 months, I think, back for the 80s uh, on the originals. Like that's how you keep people invested because they will fill that time with anything else. These days, even more so. Like if you don't get a sequel out these days in two years uh, of something that was a surprise hit, don't bother making it because... You, you you missed your window. By the time you get it out in cinemas, they would have moved on. Especially if you're a kid, like five years. You know, if you're already watching the cartoon and this movie drops, you're fine for a kid. Like we were. If you're an adult, like you said, five years is a very long time. Your music taste could have changed. You could have moved from your twenties to your thirties. Now yeah, you've got kids. Now you need yeah. more. Maybe you are a little have a, carrying a bit of, of chip on the shoulder of like the stuff you've uh, had to go through at work or that kind of thing in that kind of time. So the tone of the first one of them kind of being downbeat and trodden that like really like more adult level humor that, uh, and um, the wisecracks fall better for you. So when they change it and make it uh, for a broader audience and it's not hitting that way, it only adds that chip. It doesn't like like strike you in the chest of like, yeah, I, I get where these guys are coming from. But again, like what's the audience? It's not the same audience. That's all the first one. It is definitely a younger audience. It definitely skews that way. And everyone I know, who, like yourself, my brother or my friends who grew up on it. We, um, my housemate who also grew up in is like, I don't know why people always talk bass smack about it. I always liked it. In fact, as a kid, I could, you could have even convinced me that I preferred the second film to the first one because it was more from what <laughs> I, mean, I enjoyed from f- watching the cartoon yeah, okay. and then watching that one. Yeah. Like, and Peter McNichols is phenomenal. Like, he really is, yeah. 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 He does a great job. And yeah, it's like I said, it's just fun. There's some really clever little jokes in around as well. You've got like, the Ghostbusters, but yeah. It's, You've got a shiny new Ecto-1, yeah, or at least upgraded Ecto-1. Well, you've got the Ghostbusters coming back, but... Peter they slip into the grey suits yes, during this, this movie. They do, but Peter McNichol and Rick Moranis, yeah, they really shine in this movie. Like, they, they are the two highlights. 
I mean, ideally, the Ghostbusters will be the highlights. It's their movie. But those supporting actors are, are very good. The, okay, the, the costumes. And we'll, we'll come back to, to, the, to the actors and the performances. Did, have you ever noticed, right, if you look at whether it's the, the cover of the DVD, the VHS, or it's the cover, or any promotional materials. So I've got the score, the soundtrack, and the Ghostbusters in that. Have you noticed what's different? I, um, I don't know. I, 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 I will say right now, no. But I think I know where you're going. Is it the knee and like elbow pads? More than that, they're not wearing grey costumes. It's yeah. a darker uniform, like a re- like almost black and or a navy blue. You go oh back. Oh God, and look, yeah. The the end credits, right? And they'll do some like cut scenes or whatever, and it's got the Ghostbusters wearing dark navy blue costumes, like flight suits. And it's got the Ghostbusters yeah. 2 logo. The movie originally, they were only going to wear those dark costumes. And when they were getting ready to shoot it, it was director Ivan Reitman that he decided didn't like it. And they switched back to the grey. So that, but the it was beige. too late. Or the beige, yeah. You know what I mean? But it, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was too late. It was too late, Jay. Yeah, because they'd already so done all the marketing and the promo shots and everything. The poster, album cover. Most of the, the publicity photos has The toys. Them. Yes, but it's, it's got them wearing a, a colour that, for the most part, does not appear in the actual movie. Yeah, it, that was <laughs> the plan, but they switched it up. That's crazy to me, because I remember like seeing as a kid them in darker costumes. But didn't really think too much of it. But then yeah. finding out all these years later, that was going to be the look for the film. I guess in the opening, you know, before they came back as Ghostbusters, the opening when they were at the He-Man party, they've got the original costumes. But then later makes on... Sense they don't have the money, yeah, yeah. During the montage, especially. And a couple of the montage, montage, I distinctly remember, I think, where they're wearing Christmas hats. Yeah, they're in the dark they're costumes. The dark. It's crazy, man. Like that, that was going to be the movie. Yeah. The darker costumes. And Reitman said, nah, not going to do it. Let's, let's switch it back. You mentioned quite a while ago, Proton Pack. You know, you were talking yeah. about the, the toy that you wanted as a kid. It was never officially used on screen until this movie when the Ghostbusters are in the subway tunnel. First time. Never mentioned in the first movie. This film is where they say Proton Packs for the first time, and it's Egon saying, before we go any further, I think we should get our Proton Packs. That is spoken yeah. in this film. That's crazy, because don't you just think that's always been there? Hasn't. Yeah. Yeah, that's really weird. And the, the ghost train? Did you get the number? Yeah, yeah. Winston, I missed it. Must have been. Yeah. <laughs> I always oh, like brilliant. that. A lot of, they're not shocked yeah. that they almost got run by a train. He's like, oh. wow, I think that was that train that derailed in 1933. Did you catch the engine number? Because that's how you'd have told, like, absolutely, that was that train. But he was thinking, like, I'm a dead man. That <laughs> so, was Daniel on the phone. She was almost eaten by a bathtub. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was just, I was terrible. But, yeah, we'll get over there. Yeah, um, 
because the jokes and the gags in this are really great. They really are. They really are. And even, uh, yeah. And it's just five years, but you know, the bit where they first show up, they're they're in the museum and Bill Murray, Van Quinn is like sucking the guts guys with the Ghostbusters. It's great. It's that passage of time. It's only been five years, but still these guys are a little bit older now. Yeah. It's fun. Um, And this little joke, like, uh, Dana's like, oh, I I gotta put down Oscar. And Peter's like, may I? So he sits him down. He's like, you're a terrible person. Your head's too big for your body. And you're a terrible drain on your mother. He's literally putting him down emotionally, not like physically yeah, putting yeah, him yeah. to bed. I'm like, so clever. It's such a subtle joke. Your belly button but, sticks out too far and you're terrible burden on your poor mother. Oh, yeah. there's honestly yeah. so, many, so many good gags. Jonosh, when, when he appears as the ghost nanny, scared yeah. me as a kid. Same. Honestly. Same. The, the, the arms stretching, the red eyes. The witness snatch. Yeah. Yeah. Creepy. And even in the hallway when he rocks up during the blackout and his eyes turn on like big torches. I'm like, what is that? I know. Freaky. Did you notice the, because I guess we're kind of all over the place now, but did you notice <laughs> the distinctive change in Janine? To the point where... For the longest time, I was I was positive it was a different actress. Well, she definitely has a different hairdo. Which no, everything, no, everything, everything is different. But also, she's a lot more sexual. Oh, yes, she is. Confident. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. she's yes. not after Egon. She's after Rick Moranis. Louis uh, Tully. So we're talking yeah. about Annie Potts coming back as Janine. So she was the bookish... In the words of Peter, bug-eyed receptionist. <laughs> like that yeah. was that was her part. Yeah. And she like had a, like a, that some New Yorker attitude as well. Like, yeah, what yeah. do you want? I know. And that perfection. Sort of stuff. Absolute yeah. perfection. But she very much looked like a librarian. That's yeah. what we got in that first movie. Yet in this film, again, and why I thought it was a different actress, her appearance was significantly changed. And it was to conform to her animated counterpart in the real Ghostbusters. That that's, why like that's why she's wearing the purple. Yes, yeah, so that's that why she looks different. Sense. In the cartoon, it was Egon she was after. But as you say, in this movie, it's Lewis Tully. And they had to find a reason to bring him back because Rick Moranis was fantastic in that first movie. Yeah, in this movie, he's in the court scene, he's representing them. And then he's in yeah. a relationship with Janine. He puts on one of Spengler's spare suits and proton yeah. pack, and he goes out and he has his moment. Yeah, they really gave Moranis a lot more to do in this one. And yeah, and he he's so good in this. And I heard recently that he's looking at coming out of retirement. And I so hope that he does because he's a really good talent. I think the first thing he's doing when he comes back is another sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. This one yes, will be titled... Yes, this one will be titled Shrunk. And he's coming back as the same character, but playing the role of his kid is Josh Gad. Yeah, I mean, it should be a lot of fun. So anyway, Moranis is coming back. But in this film, yes, he he's great in this. He, he really is. Yeah, and it's smart with him as well. Like they they hire him as their lawyer because they don't know any lawyers because he's a tax accountant 
and a tax lawyer. So close enough. In yeah, he's like, I've only done a few like small like libel suits and that sort of stuff, but it's close enough. But in that sort of stuff, that now he's their lawyer, so he's the one running like running out. He's in his suits because that's he's their accountant slash lawyer, like running out. Like oh, don't don't forget to take only like if uh, only like uh, cashiers checks and things of like you know like things that are legitimate pay, like no no dodgy stuff, so they can't get stiff later on. Like his. They explain his role, like they do in everything in this movie on this watch. Of like everyone who's there is, has a reason for being there, um, you know. Like it's it's just clever. I always liked as well that on uh, Vagman's show, the it's the world of psychics. Yes. <laughs> um, that the guest who was talking about the end of the world was spot on. Yeah. Like. Yeah. It's right there. It's a very strong psychic impulse that the the, uh, end of the world is going to be this New Year's Eve. uh, And he's like, he's he's giving him crap like, whoa, 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 think about your timing. Shouldn't you have set it back? Like you need to get paper book sales aren't going to come in by that time. Like you shouldn't, you pick like 94 or even like 96. I'm like, it's, it's all really clever. And I always like that. And like, and the, uh, the actor is well known. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Oh, he's done things. Yes, he's done yeah, um, But yeah, there's a lot of like little layered in stuff like that. I like that even before they uh, like actually got start investigating the ooze that Egon is back working at the school, back in his field, checking psychic energy and like do bad emotions and positive emotions change the the makeup of the room. Is can it be measured? Yeah. Like using instruments, and that's just, which leads feeds perfectly into why he's he and Ray are able to figure out what's going on with Dana's baby. Like it's all really seamless. So all the story points that people complain about this movie, I'm like, just pay a little bit more attention. Trust me, it all makes sense. It's all got its place. It's all the T's and across, and all the I's are dotted. They've covered themselves everywhere in terms of story and for reasoning. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, you you're right. It is it is all there. I guess unfortunately, people just compare it to that first film. Yeah, which you're always going to get with the sequel. It's never, but I think more. I don't know with with this more so because you just because for the longest time outside of the animated series, it was just these two films. Yeah, and that and that was it. I think. But yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, people are always going to compare sequels to what comes before or what came before. One more thing on Louis Tully before we move on. It was after his appearance in this film that he became a Ghostbuster in the show and became one of the characters. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, Speaking of the characters, I guess we'll go down the list. Peter Venkman, Bill Murray, back being Bill Murray and he's just perfect like if you need bill murray you can only hire bill murray his insecurity his overconfidence his like like the way he tries to swoon uh women but he has a genuine affection for dana barrett it's all there like you know he rocks up and he's kind of bursts in the room like like a lot of energy when he first goes to her apartment with ray and egon and he's all kind of brief and then when she actually uh, acknowledges him like, how are you doing, Peter? And he just turns around and like sultry, like Dana, 
<laughs> he's right back. Every yeah. every little motion, every little bit, every little off the cuff like retort and like one liner, all the zingers, all of them are, are perfect. Every single one of them. Yeah, they're all they're all pitch perfect. I mean, yeah, I mean that that was a good line, but that's oh, I'm doing that thing where I'm comparing it. There's so yeah. many that the first movie is so quotable. Yeah, this one not so much. I mean, they are in there, but they, they don't hit as hard. But everybody is bringing their A game with this, just like they did with with that first movie. Yeah, um, and you know. Dan Aykroyd is great as Raymond uh, Stance, whose his, his surname always like is hard to remember for me. Stance, and, Stance, yeah, Stance, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's great. He's still the one who gets excited about like all the uh, all the so the like sort of faux science terms, and yeah, he's he's doing the the party shows, but he's also running a bookstore slash witchery. Where Major you buy cult. like potions and stuff, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and that stuff's like uh, Giles in Buffy's later seasons. Like, he's do he's doing exactly that. Like, I wonder if uh, Joss Whedon stole that idea from mm. this movie. Like, I mean, it's Ray, so similar. Raise the heart of the Ghostbusters. He's and he's a kid at heart. Like, he's very excitable. You know, he's interested in all of this. And yeah, I mean, you don't have Ghostbusters without Dan Aykroyd. You know, it was it was his his baby to begin with, like him and his family, like he's gone on record like many times in the past saying they do have a strong interest in the supernatural and the believe all that. I, mean, I don't want to yeah. generalize too much, but Aykroyd himself has said that he believes in this and he wanted to to put it on film and, and base a story around that. But back when he was doing Ghostbusters, his first draft, they traveled through time and space. It was a very different thing. Took yeah. it to Ivan Reitman, who's back directing this, and said, this is what I want to make. And Reitman's like, well, this movie's, the budget's going to be ridiculous. Like, sit and spend some time with Harold Ramis and see if you can come up with something else. And they scaled it right back, and it's what we get in this movie. But yeah, I mean, Dan Aykroyd is Ghostbusters. He really yeah. is. Yeah. Um, Sigourney Weaver, I don't think she is capable of putting in a terrible performance oh she's she's great in both movies like she's really good in this you know there's a different wrinkle to her character she's now a mother um yeah she's caring for a child but then you've still got all her fun interactions with venkman yeah she genuinely seems to have uh like one of the guys mentality with everyone else egon um winston and ray like they're actually friends. They catch up. Um, and, you know, there's this whole weird thing with her and Venkman at the start of the movie. And it, like, cause it's, it's around attraction and how yes. they didn't handle that. Well, the first time around. Well, when he um, started introducing her as the old ball and chain, yeah. And yeah. And his whole, like, you know, like I need, yeah, I'm, I'm emotional. I need to feel supported yeah. and loved. Like yeah. the, the, the role <laughs> reversal here, yes. he like drops on her. Um, it's great. Um, you know, Harold Ramis is so, so great. Like he's the intellectual one. Like 
you know, like I, we didn't have chill toys when I was a child. My parents didn't believe in him. We didn't even, yeah, you didn't even have a slinky. I had part of a slinky. I strained it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I had a slinky and a strain. Yeah, it's about oh. like, yeah, like how does it work? <laughs> and then like, I got to fix it now. Yeah. Like, it's just his personality. It's all, it's all, again, really good. Like when he's interacting with Dana and she, as when she brings up, like, oh, have you spoken to uh, Peter? Like he goes from scanning the subjects behind the glass to scanning her to see if she start her she starts changing the roomsman thing. Yeah. Like there's a lot of little, little subtle things that all works, and there's the knowing look in his eye, like because he's such he's the straight one in terms of the uh, the Ghostbusters, uh, at least out of the original three. So like you know when they started up the proton packs and the court oh, room, one of the best, oh, best gags, Ray Egon, Egon. and even. <laughs> Yeah, and even Peter looks at him like you're making jokes. Like, yeah, it's so it's so well done, and like you know, even when he's he's drilling the uh, the hole in the ground, and like they come over to, because the cops pulled up, and they're like come doing the whole like city like like blue collar thing, and he's doing yo, <laughs> he's not a broy yeah. guy. He's just yeah. I need to drill a hole. I need to get underneath to find out what's going on down there. Um, He's so great. Um, uh, Ernie Hudson, um, great. He gets more to do in this, thankfully. He does, yeah. Uh, than he does in the first one because there's a cartoon when he's been the major character for the whole time. Like, it's good that he got them. And, you know, that's something he's he always complained of uh, away from the movies that he was always slow to sign up to what would be the inevitable third one. Cause if I don't, if, if you don't flesh out my character more, if I don't get more to do, why would I return? Why should I return? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, as, as you know, Jack, I read the ongoing comics. So I guess now they're doing like just limited runs for the um, IDW. Yeah. They put them out and his character in there is an ex Marine. You know, yeah. so that they're, they're adding so much more to his backstory. But yeah, Winston's such a great character. Still, the line that he has in that first movie, I'll always love when he's in the mayor's office and, you know, room full of white guys. And he's yeah. like, listen, I've only been with these guys for a couple of weeks, but I've seen shit that have turned you white. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Tell him about the Twinkie. He's got so many more portable lines in that first movie, but you're right, in this one, it is more of a quartet. It's four Ghostbusters yeah. all working together, whereas he was the add-on, which, you know, that is in the story of that first movie. That three yeah, like, start this, oh, yeah. need help. For, for, yeah, for pay, like, I'll believe whatever it is you want me to believe. I'll believe in the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> uh, Love it. And, yeah. He's the one who can break it down to, like, layman's terms because he's not, a, like, a scientist like the other three. He's a, a regular Joe, so... When they like, will someone who speaks English break this down? And he's like, this shit's going to explode, dumbass. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like, I'm paraphrasing, but that's, yeah, he's like, don't you understand? Like, literally, these guys, this, like, we just took a, ri- a swim in a river of fucking slime. Like, it's, and that, 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 that original scene with Ray dangling on the cord and the river of slime reaching up to like grab him always stuck with me as a kid yeah, and then re-watching freaky. it now i'm yeah. like oh and the the look of it as well like different kinds of pink and purple paint and with slime it looks great it it works really well but 
yeah, they've all they're all in perfect sync in this one. Um, with all um, of the main characters, yeah, with with that slime, they went through loads of different colors, like to find out what would work best. Like they were looking, um, the Slimer obviously is in this movie, but there were a time where they swapped him out completely, and he wasn't going to be in it, even though they had a lot of success in the cartoon. But we'll come back to Slimer. But I bring him up because they were looking at green slime, blue slime, and eventually they landed on pink slime, which like a pinky purple, which yeah. is the way to go. It's got a very distinctive look. I mean, you see some early CGI in this, like you know the scene with the bathtub, especially you're talking about, yeah. you know, in the sewers. But with the the slime that they actually use as a practical effect, they had cement mixers on set constantly mixing to keep it liquid and loose yeah crazy and it's what they had to do back then i mean today it'll all be cgi but back then yeah they were making it in a cement mixer on set yeah because i wouldn't be i don't know exactly what they made but i'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's the same stuff they used in aliens to drip off the actual xenomorphs which is the thickening syrup they used to use in milkshakes back in the day at Burger King and McDonald's because right up until the the eighties refrigeration on ice cream especially was super expensive. So it was cheaper to use a thickening agent in normal milk. Uh and it helped carry the flavor as well and it was super consistent regardless where you were or what the temperature was. Once they started using, when they finally figured out soft serve and using that in fast food places instead, especially the US in Australia, I think we we had we moved over to ice cream first. But all of that excess goo was left over for movies, and like Aliens jumped on it, Ghostbusters, and God knows how many horror movies as well. Like you want something yeah. to glisten and drip and like look disgusting on screen, and need you need fluids with a certain viscosity. This is your stuff. It's the beginning agent from old milkshakes. <laughs> Did not know that. Yeah. Let's talk Vigo. He's the big bad of this movie. Yeah. Willem von Homburg was cast as Vigo the Carpathian, but he was actually voiced by Max von Sydow. Ming Both the Merciless. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know until doing prep for this. I've just seen the guy who turns out is Wilhelm von Homburg. He didn't actually know that his lines were dubbed until at the premiere. Wow. It's Star Wars all over again. Yeah. Nobody absolutely. telling David Prowse that Darth Vader doesn't have a Yorkshire accent. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you've got this poor guy. Is it the premiere? And out of anger, he walked out when he found out. Yeah. Left the premiere. Yeah. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's just like common courtesy of like, by the way, we needed something that sort of sounded more menacing. You, like yeah. your, your voice is too warm. Uh, or direction on set. Can you, what else can you do with your voice? Uh, can you have a boom? You know, can we do a re recording and we'll do some synth effects over the top? But just keep him in the loop. But well, the thing that made me laugh is writing down the uh, the names of the actors involved. Like their regular names sound like movie villains. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we didn't talk. I mean, we didn't talk about uh, so maybe Oscar. There's two actors playing yep. playing him. 
and I did read doing prep for this. Unfortunately, one of it was two brothers. Yeah, one of Twins. them. This is what they always use in movies, even yes. to this day, because of child labor laws. Means you only get like a few hours of filming a day, so you use twins because you get twice as much filming so out of the actor. But one of the twins commit suicide in in recent years, which I, I yeah. didn't know until doing prep for this. But yes, you've got William T and Henry J. They've got the same surname. Yeah. Dochnoff is probably yeah. not right, <laughs> but that's yeah. that's what it looks like written down. But uh, but yeah, that's that's baby baby Oscar. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's talk some more about Vigo the Carpathian. He was based on Vlad the Third, the Impaler, who is also the basis for Dracula. Well, there's a connection there, I believe. Yep. And yep. Grigory Rasputin. The canvas painting of Vigo, as portrayed by Wilhelm von Homburg, went through many designs. And this canvas painting was, in actuality, a photograph of von Homburg taken on a set that was blown up in size and treated to resemble an oil painting. Always looked cool. cool. The design of it, the look of it, um, just freaked me out. It really did. I find him way more menacing than Goza. I really do. Well, Goza looks like a pop singer. She does. He does. Yeah. Whatever uh, goes with <laughs> Whatever form yeah. he, she chooses. But yes, he, he looked terrifying. The bit where Ray is looking at the painting, Ray, Ray, yeah. kind of move out and of the way. And he turns around, <laughs> yeah, and he's got the like yeah. weird, like bulbous oh, blob things, and it's like, I am Ray now. It's, yeah, it's so well done. It really um, is. Quick, and, slimy. And he, yeah, <laughs> and that's what's cool about this because yeah, you got your proton packs, but they've also got the they've got the canisters on the back as well with the mood slime. It's how they get the Statue of Liberty to move to the sound of music. Hey, we're talking yeah. high concept here. It's a comedy. <laughs> yeah, on. It's like they, it's because they the show shell us. around the museum yes. is like made of negative energy, and they that's needed right. positive so energy positive to combat energy. it. But earlier, they showed us that they could make an inanimate object move with the toaster. Yeah. So, of course, and the next step up from a toaster is the Statue of Liberty. But they used yeah. the Statue of Liberty because they needed a symbol, something that would inspire the people of New York. With positive energy. Yeah, positive yeah. energy. And that's something always, true. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I always liked because... You know, you've got Rick Moranis, or I should say Lewis Tully. He suits up as a Ghostbuster. He's not got a car. He catches the bus. Slimer's driving, and he's like, oh, I didn't know you had your license. He gets on anyway. Yeah. Slimer drives him <laughs> to the museum. Yeah. But when he's blasting from the outside, and of course, you know, the, the Ghostbusters are doing what they're doing inside of the museum. But I always took it, even as a kid, in that, because you, you could look at it two ways, that Lewis is just there, He's not actually doing anything. It's the guys on the inside that are saving the day. But I still think that is what's happening. A visual reminder for the audience outside to think positive and like... He is inspiring them. So I think it's a case of what they're doing inside is what's really helping. But then what spurs them on is the positive vibes 
from the people seeing what Lewis is doing. And I've always liked that. And then he's, yeah, I did it. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a good moment. There's, there's a, lot of, a lot of things to like in here. You've got, you've got the comedy. You've got a good villain in, in Vigo. You've got Janosch off going around doing this crazy thing. You've got the relationship between Janine and Lewis. It's a lot of fun. Oh, we, we should talk about Slimer. Yeah. I mentioned that originally Slimer was in it, and then they took Slimer away. Bobby Porter was hired to wear the Slimer costume, but when the character was removed, I think it might have been a case of Porter no longer being available. So instead, a few weeks later, when Slimer was reinserted, this time they went to Robin Shelby, who returns as Slimer in the 2016 reboot as well. Oh, that's cool. So she was Slimer then. But it's crazy to me that they actually thought or went ahead for a time of removing Slimer because yeah. from that first movie, the cartoon, such a recognizable character. So they did have Slimer put back in there, which, which is good. And he got a couple of scenes and a bit of comedy between him and Lewis Tully. Yeah. I like the scene. Like I always liked that because I grew up on the cartoon you know, he's eating all the donuts and stuff around the uh, Ghostbusters headquarters and it scares Lewis off who does his shtick and like trips over a couch. And then, yeah, and then they kind of come to a like a, an agreement at the end when he gets driven there by Slimer. I always enjoyed it. I always liked him from the first one because I always associated him with the look of the sign. He's about the, the right proportions. He's just green instead of being white. Um and it always made sense to me. I'm like, yeah. of course, of course, he's one of the regular characters. He's always, of course, he's going to show up again. Um, but yeah, uh, the special effects in this movie as well, definitely a, a bit of a step up from the original. Um, less practical, like the I always thought the the stop motion on the uh, the demon dogs in the first one worked really well. Like even to this day, when I watch it, I'm always like, a pre- I always think they look great, but there is Obviously. that scene. So there is that scene though in the hallway where they crash through the door in the hallway after the show yeah. up at Lewis's apartment, and that looks like early CGI. Yeah, it's not quite finished. For the most part, it is puppets, electronics. I mean, even Slimer in in this movie, his face was controlled with wires and cables, so it's all yeah. mechanical, whereas less so. In that first movie, but yeah, yeah which the, is more of a Muppet. Yes, that's right. But yeah, the effects really, really do look great here. I and mean, we've got the Titanic finally docking. That's the thing yeah. that happens. Uh, yeah, the the effects look cool. And what I found was interesting when when I was looking at it, as with Ivan Reitman's work on the first Ghostbusters film he had little interest in the technical side of the film. So he wanted to focus on the comedy and, and the actors. For the sequel, he employed special effects studio, industrial light and magic. And I believe to this day, that's where the painting of Vigo is still mounted on the wall. <laughs> they have that's that awesome. at, 
ILM. So he basically, so Reitman gave ILM a rough outline of what he wanted in the film and they just went for it. And I think maybe yeah. that, I think if you'd have had a director that was just in tune with the actors and the effects, maybe you'd have had more of a balance. But they did seem to push the boundaries and go a bit bigger in their creature designs for this sequel. But do you know what I mean? If you had a director that was across both, and yeah. then maybe you wouldn't end up where it's a little disjointed and maybe you've got, I don't know. Yeah, because it's the things like in the courtroom as well, like the the creatures that are interacting with the environment more, like you know the the where the 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 Scolari brothers are knocking the chairs over, one ting 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 on their way up to popping out and at the guys. It's it's really well done, and but that's a practical thing on set yes. of like I want to see those chairs. Like that's obviously something Reitman thought for the scene of like, can we get those chairs to pop up? I want them to physically interact Yeah. where I don't remember a scene like that in the first movie where, you know, it was always, you had the slime of course, but no other ectoplasm, good, but you yeah. had no, no interaction with the physical object that wasn't hot dogs. Where slime That's a good was. point. <laughs> the Scalari brothers yeah. visually based on the blues brothers. Yeah. Of course, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi and John yeah. Belushi being the original inspiration for Slimer. Yeah. Originally yeah. Belushi was back. well yeah, I mean originally Belushi was Venkman. Yeah. And then of course he died beforehand. So there's well, a change too, it it's too famous. Oh no no he passed away. Like he, he overdosed. Yeah. yeah that's that's what happened there. I mean originally before Ernie Hudson, Winston did have a bigger part and they went to Eddie Murphy and he turned it down because he went and made Beverly Hills Cop instead. I think that worked out all right for him. <laughs> I think so too. Do you know Beverly Hills Cop? Because I like a bit of a side sidetrack. Beverly Hills Cop was originally a film for Sylvester Stallone. And I've bit, heard this before somewhere. It's on the DVDs, so the special features. Bit by bit, Stallone would remove more and more of the comedy until it ended up just being like a straight action film. <laughs> the guys making the movie, they're like, "No, nah, come on, this is you, you're taking too much away from that." That's it's not the movie that we want it to be. So we've just like a couple of weeks turnaround from day one of shooting, they approached Eddie Murphy. And within a couple of yeah. weeks, he created Axel Foley. And that's, yeah. and that's why in Beverly Hills Cop 2, you've got Judge Reinhold as Billy, and he's got his Rambo obsession. And still yeah. features quite a bit in that. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, that's Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> yeah. But yes, Eddie Murphy was originally Winston, but I mean, I think it all worked out for the best. You know, we've got a good cast across the board, really. Again, there's no, there's no weak link and there's no Walter yeah. Peck in this movie. Unfortunately. No, no, it's said we get Hardmayer played by Kurt Fuller, who's great as the, uh, the head of the mayor's re-election committee who he is. He is. hates the Ghostbusters for some reason. He really does. He gets them uh, institutionalized. Without yeah, them or because so. they're gonna, yeah, because they're going to go to the pop, the the press about like you have to understand, we're fucked. Like all this bad <laughs> negative energy is going to yeah. like yeah, because the mayor can't do anything. He's like you want, how am I supposed to get people to be nice to each other? Don't be an idiot. <laughs> yeah, but it, but, yeah. It, so he it plays it well. He plays it well, but it was always going to be hard for anybody to come close to William Atherton 
as Walter yeah, White. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, this is true. He has no penis. No, the, the line is, everything was okay until dickless over here. Is this true? <laughs> yes, Your Honor. This man has no dick. It's yeah. just pitch, pitch perfect. It's, it's brilliant. The, the music, the score, the soundtrack has always been a big part of Ghostbusters. I mean, Ray Parker Jr. on that first movie, the Ghostbusters song, we get it here. We get it in the opening at the King's Party. Yeah. At the Kids' Party. don't know if they came. Yeah. <laughs> at the Kids' Party. I always find it interesting that it's one of those things where we know the song because we're the yeah. audience. But when you get to this second movie, the Ghostbusters themselves, it's a song that exists in their world. And they're playing yeah. it at the kids' party. That yeah. always spun me out as a kid when I'm watching it. They know the song too. But yeah. So okay, so they, they kind of bring that song back from the first movie. But in reality, Ghostbusters 2, it has its own Ghostbusters song. And they didn't go to Ray Parker Jr. Instead, they went to Run DMC. Is that who did it? That's who did it. We are the that... G O S. What is it? We are the G H O S T Ghostbusters. All that. It's been a while since I've heard it. But yeah, yeah. we are the Busters of any G H O S T. That's it. But they went to DMC, yeah. and I remember years and years later because I couldn't find that that version of their song anywhere. And then Run DMC released the greatest hit. Sounds like, oh, for sure, it's going to be on there. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't on there. <laughs> but eventually, I did get the, the soundtrack with that song on there. Another big song was Bobby Brown, On Our Own, which is a great song. And Bobby Brown, actually, as a cameo, and he's the one that is the, the doorman that asked for a proton pack oh. for his brother. Yeah, yeah. But he's... That is Bobby Brown. But his How he song, was young in this movie. <laughs> yes, yes, he was. Um, and that track, On Our Own, was a big success. And it spent 20 weeks on the United States music charts. Yeah. So that's a good one. Yeah. I, there's more hits, I think, from that first soundtrack. But there's, there's quite a few on here. But, it, yeah, but the highlights sure. are Run DMC. And Bobby Brown. And I'm sure during the uh, the when they start being Ghostbusters again, uh, there's an updated because it's you know five years later, so musical tastes have changed and it's a lot more '80s, like upbeat, poppy. Um, that sounds a lot more like the animated theme from my head that's playing during the original the, that montage sequence. Ah, okay, um, yeah. And um, as soon as I heard it, I'm like, ah, oh, this is how I kind of remember the Ghostbusters theme from the cartoon. It's something like this. Um, probably not exactly the same, but it's definitely in there. Um, as pro- at least a few notes from it for like the kids I'm imagining of like, there it is. They're ghost busting. Um, which I still enjoy. I still like. It's uh, there's still it's, so it's much familiar to, like. to me. There's so much to like it. And, and again, it's that thing where it's like, we're, we're potentially going to be very biased on this when we go to actually yeah. rate it. But it's like I said earlier, I do think it's how old you were when you came to it. But for me, I, I, can't, I can't review it any other way. Like on how I still feel today when I watch it. But before we get to our rating, I mentioned earlier, we've got Ghostbusters Afterlife coming out next year. Due to COVID, it's been delayed, I think like a whole year. But it's eventually going to come out. A true sequel to this film. What we do know so far 
When a single mother and her two children move to a new town, they soon discover that they have a connection to the original Ghostbusters and their grandfather's secret legacy. And as I said earlier, it's Egon. Because in the trailer, they open the closet and there's the suit Spengler. It's it's there. So if they were trying to keep it a secret, they didn't do a very good job. But it looks... (laughs) It looks interesting. It does. You know, when that reboot came out, you know, there's things to like, mainly Holtzman. Like, she's the highlight yeah. of that film. Uh, Kate yeah, McKinnon, she's Hemsworth fantastic. did a great job. He has some like, moments, with, yeah. Because I, I do like that they tried to, to, to switch it up and uh, make all the, like, the, 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 the sexy secretary jokes about a man. I think it works. Yeah. And he generally quite well. had some good jokes. Like the the standout is when he's talking about Mike Hat, and they're like, "Oh, I'm allergic to cats," and he's like, "Honor is a dog, Mike." <laughs> but it sounds yeah. like he's saying my cat, and that, yeah, and that was an ad lib that Hemsworth made, and then director yeah. Paul Feig is like, "That's in, that's in the movie, that's hilarious," and it yeah. really is. Before we rate Ghostbusters two. The biggest praise I can give, or the thing that I like most about the reboot movie, is that they really lent into the action sequences in a way that we never got from the original movies. Like that scene in Times Square, and in particular, when you got Holtzman and she brings out the two pistols, and they do like a, like a faster version of the Ray Parker Jr. theme. Yeah. And she's like shooting over her shoulder forward. And it really played for action where we never really got it. I mean, even if you, they kind of like just fire in a particular area for a while and then they save the day, which is fine. Yeah. Fun. Whereas I think they did a better job of it because of when the movie was made, maybe with the reboot. So I'm hoping they can kind of marry the two with this new movie. Like, keep what made yeah. the first two special, but then maybe lean into the action some more. Yeah, it'll be hard to do because I do think from a, a story standpoint, the, the fact that they have to hold them into a spot to get them into a, a trap, especially designed to hold their psychic energy, works better. Whereas, you know, I think from memory, the 2016 one, they literally just shot them and they kind of dissipated. Like, oh, they still, they still, yeah, they still had to trap them. Like, they still had to hold yeah. on to them. Yeah, um, but yeah, like an update to the proton packs where they're uh, more effective and they don't have to hold them consistently. Yeah, could definitely work. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see how they do it because it's it'll be really yeah. hard, especially with uh, Harold Ramis's passing as well. It's a big yeah, I'm I'm hold. very I'm very curious. There was um, one of the later latest trailers and it had the young girl and she was in the like a there's a seat like a like a seat on the inside of the door and the door opens whilst the ecto one is in motion and she starts blasting whilst sat down and that reminded yeah. me of the cartoon when ray used to sit on the roof you know the little, yeah. little chair on the roof yeah ah. so yeah i mean ghostbusters afterlife i definitely want to see it and you know i love ghostbusters i think that's apparent at this point I really do. So I'm <laughs> hoping that it's that it's good. But I remember 2016, Sony launched Ghost Core, 
They were looking at producing television and movies simultaneously. And it was going to be this big comeback, merchandise, comic books. And it kind of just fell flat. But this official third movie is happening. So we live in hope. Okay, Jay, Ghostbusters 2. If you're going to rate it out of five. I'm going to be probably biased like yourself. I I think this is a four. (laughs) Mm. A four out of five. I uh, I think it's really strong. Um, in terms of, uh, I think you're right. If you've if you've grown up with it, like we have, you're definitely gonna have a a, a stronger affinity for it and a, a love that you might not get if you were to watch both of them now back to back as an adult. But I, like yourself, I can only speak from my own personal experience. I think the story really holds up. The performances hold up the production values, all of it still holds up really well. Uh, it's fun. That's from a movie of this kind. Um, it, it, that's the, the two things it needs to be uh, entertaining and fun. And it, it does that so well, you know, you can still hum around the things. I'm still going to still going to be thinking about some, some of the one liners next few days because they are really done, like well done. And you know, they, it's clever comedy as well. It's not just like, like sarcastic humor and that kind of stuff. There's it, like, there's levels and there's this hit them on every, every point. And yeah, four out of five, definitely, definitely give it a watch. If you haven't watched it in a while and you, you're starting to think that maybe it's not as good as you remember because of the way it's portrayed or like remembered by others. But if you do remember enjoying it, or if you've watched the original, if you never got around to this, definitely check it out. It's, it's phenomenal. I think it's great. Yeah, I want to come in the same also with a four. I when we reviewed Ghostbusters, the original, I came in at five out of five. And it, and it is, it really is. I, I love that first movie so much. This movie, yeah, four, four out of five. It it's a really good film. And you're yeah. right. Unfortunately, it's not remembered that well by most people. I think if you've not seen it in a while, it's definitely worth going back and, and giving it a rewatch. It is a lot of fun. A lot of what you liked from that first film, including a lot of the same beats, are right. present in this film. But it's it's a fun movie. It it really is. And it's a shame that we didn't get a, a follow-up to this, even if it was like another five years later. But instead, when we finally get a sequel the guys are going to be a lot older. But I'm there for it still. I don't know you are as well. It's a lot of fun. It's a good movie. So, yeah, if you've not seen it in a while, go back and watch Ghostbusters 2. Well, that's it for our episode all about Ghostbusters 2. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for a upcoming show, you can contact us on Facebook at As Sounds Like Comics. As always, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.